0: This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code TREK9 to save 10%. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: Taking all these books, I thought I'd take some light reading in case
0: I got bored. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he is every week, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, we we didn't record a show last week. We had something come up that uh, unforeseen circumstances, so we had to take a week off. But we're back today, ready to talk Star Trek books and comics. How was your week?
1: Oh man, goodness, Chris! Last week was busy. Uh, I I like to think of it as concert week. Uh, I went and saw Mumford and Sons in concert. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. Uh, Samford and Sons was on, huh? Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, and then, uh, on Saturday, went to another concert. Um, and one of the big radio stations here put it on, and a bunch of people were there. So, we had. Um, uh, plain white tees. Uh, Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls did an acoustic set. Um, they had uh, One Republic, Sarah Bareilles. Uh So it was just a whole night of music. I honestly don't know how late I was out that night. It was that much fun. So,
0: wow, that sounds like fun. It's like we have those in the summer here in Tokyo, in Tokyo area. Anyway, there's Fuji Rock Festival. There's Summer Sonic. Those two are quite old. And these days, we've got so many. I think there are like four or five of them now. And I started wondering are, how are people going to all of these things? You know, there's a limited number of people, <laughs> yeah. limited amount of money they can spend on tickets. But there's yes, a, exactly. another summer festival like that uh, with, you know, 20, 30 bands playing over the course of, of three or four or five days. It's yeah. It's crazy, but a lot of fun.
1: It was, it was definitely a great time. So, Was
0: there any Klingon opera there?
1: You know, um unfortunately no Klingon operas. I was a little disappointed. Um but uh, it's it's to be expected. Um you know, uh Worf is busy and he's he's not locked in the escape pod, you know, where the acoustics are just just right for that opera and so um yeah, the, no Klingon opera this time. Maybe next time. Uh maybe that or maybe a little Klingon Shakespeare. Uh so I get some real culture here because, you know... Real authentic Shakespeare, Exactly. Right? You just, you haven't yeah. heard it until you've heard it performed in the original Klingon. We all know this. And so, you, you know, one can only hope, uh, you know, Dallas, everybody likes to think of us as uneducated, And obviously we are because we have never had a Klingon opera or a Klingon Shakespeare. So, <sighs> we,
0: we, when we live near Lake Tahoe, they, every summer they have a Shakespeare on the lake there right on the shores of
1: of Lake Tahoe, but they never did Klingon Shakespeare. So I was kind of disappointed in that. That would be pretty cool to have that. I think Chris I'd love to see that done somewhere, even just a small, you know, like maybe 10 minute rendition of something would be uh, probably enough at that point. (laughs) That that, that would be fine. So, all right, well,
0: let's jump into our books news that we have for this week. And we have, we've talked about on here a few times that there are, moving towards doing more and more of these books that are ebook only releases and of course that goes back to the starfleet Corps of engineer series which was exclusively an ebook series but now we're seeing more and more of that and we have quite a few titles listed here in ebook news this week what's the the first one
1: well um we've talked about this one before but uh apps and enemies with uh john jackson miller going to be a titan novel and in the uh you know "Quote unquote present day twenty fourth century." Um, this one's due out in February, and uh, you can already see listings of that on on Amazon. Um, we we've talked about the next one, which is "Seasons of Light and Darkness" by Michael A. Martin. Uh, this one's supposed to be hopefully coming out uh, in April. Um, about McCoy uh, during the events uh, of Wrath of Khan, which is exciting yeah. to me, as everyone knows, I'm a huge I, yeah, Dr. I was gonna McCoy see. fan. I'm sure you're
0: looking forward to this one. <laughs>
1: yeah, I really am. Um, and uh, and then we have a third one. I think, Chris, you've talked about when I was uh, absent was uh, Shadow of the Machine with Scott Harrison uh, set shortly after the motion picture, which is, for me, always a really interesting time period to be in. And this looks uh, for maybe a release this December, but now it's vanished. So we're not really sure when this one's going to be placed.
0: Now, these next two sound really exciting to me, Matthew. Yes. You talk about original mm-hmm. book titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Scott Pearson is writing a book, and Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman are also writing a book, and they're both calling their books TBA. I I don't know how we're going to distinguish those.
1: Uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Luckily, they have different authors. Uh, hopefully, they'll have different ISBN numbers, so we'll be able to check. And hopefully, um, different
0: cover art as well.
1: Yes. uh, I mean, who knows? It's going to be tough, but uh, so not a lot on the Scott Pearson book or um, the Paula M. Block and Terry Erdman are going to be writing a book as well, which is, hey, their first foray into Trek fiction, because, of course, they've done Trek nonfiction. Yeah, Yeah, fantastically as well. So these two books, there's no info on really yet what they're going to be about uh, or when we should see them. But it does look as though um, maybe Pocket's going to do an every other month for these um, releases. So every other month you'd get a novel plus a, an ebook. I really enjoyed yep. The Stuff of Dreams by James Swallow. And so I'm hoping that these books will be of that quality and really give us some in depth look at, you know, characters like, you know, Dr. McCoy or, uh, you know, short set pieces like right after the motion picture what was that like for all of those characters I think this is a really great thing to be able to plumb so I'm excited to see what the the you know the last two Scott and then Paula and Terry will be writing about specifically um, where they'll be writing because you know the nice thing about ebook is you can really put this anywhere uh, it doesn't have to be in all the continuity you can just create a, a great short story about a character that you'd really like to kind of plumb the depths of
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think Seasons of Light and Darkness is going to be very interesting because it's going to be one of those stories where after you read it, then you can go back and you can watch The Wrath of Khan, and you might get something new out of that movie just based on what we learned about Dr. McCoy from that novel. And that's always fun when you can go back and you can watch movies that are decades old and continue to get new things out of them. Kind of like we did when we watched Between Space Seed and The Wrath of Khan. Some shows ago, we did the whole Khan ruling in hell comics, and you know those are fantastic because then you can have a little bit different take on the events of the Wrath of Khan, based on what Khan and his people went through after they were left on Seti Alpha Five at the end of Space Seed.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that uh, you know the comics and the short stories you know really can do and so I'm hoping to see that with these stories as well especially to even just the this, the follow up you know uh, by John Jackson Miller here about the Titan you know they're going to have a big part of the fall series and so kind of seeing a, a short novella about them and what's going on with them I think is a great idea in the same way that after David Mack's latest series Cold Equations we saw the nice follow up with James Swallow's book and uh, so I'm excited I think this is good stuff. I I love to see that um Pocket is still really heavily investing in Star Trek novels and even now uh novellas to just put out ebook wise and it, it's it's more for the authors to be able to do. Um and it's great for the fans, I think. I like that Pocket only does one book a month now, but I think having an ebook every other month or so is a great idea as well because they're quick reads. You know, they're maybe 2 or three ninety nine, so it, it's not a lot on the pocketbook. It, it's really perfect for everyone.
0: Most definitely. Now, you mentioned that Titan is going to have a big part in the fall series, and the other item we have here in books is about the cover of Peaceable Kingdoms, Dayton Ward's novel, that's part of the fall series. We have the cover art, and, you know, you and I both have really praised most of the cover art in the fall series. We were very unhappy with the cover art for Una's book, which of course has nothing to do with Una. It just has to do with the artwork that they chose for the cover. And that was a cover that had the Enterprise-E on it with that sort of crimson uh, background. The book is called The Crimson Shadow. And so it's sort of, it almost looks like it's supposed to be a nebula behind the Enterprise-E, but it's just not rendered very well, and so... I don't know. It still looks like a temp cover to me, but apparently
1: that is the real cover. It is. I have it on my iPad, Chris, and that's that's oh, the
0: cover. See? that's there. That's the cover. And that leads us to this one, Peaceable Kingdoms, which also has the Enterprise E on it, and which also has a similar Nebula-type look in the background, except it's purple. Now, this, this cover is a big improvement over the Crimson Shadow cover, but still... It's nowhere near being in the league of the other covers from the series, and I don't quite understand what's going on here.
1: Well, and it is really strange to me, especially, I mean, all of the work that they put into creating the new Deep Space Nine, and they put that on the cover of David's book, and then it's on the cover of David Mack's book, and then it's, um, you know, you get the great render of of the Titan from Tobias on um, James's book. And then these two books... Not only is it just kind of, um, I don't know, a a, a haphazard cover that looks like just about anybody could put together um, on, Mm -hmm. you know, Photoshop. I'm pretty sure you could, Chris, in about 20 minutes. Uh, But the render of the Enterprise-E, I'm just disappointed with. I mean, Tobias has done some fantastic work with the Enterprise-E itself. I wish we would have seen that at least there on the cover. I, I just... I'm not sure why, you know, you would spend such time and effort on three of the book's covers. And then, especially even the last book, you know, Dayton's wrapping up the series. You would think you'd want this cover to really capture, you know, the the essence of this, the end of this series. And it just feels like a scene on the cutting room floor.
0: It does. Uh, the, the render of the E on Peaceable Kingdom's cover is much better than the one on the Crimson Shadow. Uh, the Crimson Shadow cover, again, it does look like someone had a clip art of the Enterprise-E and they just stuck it on a red background with poor clipping paths. Uh, this this one is better, but still, I don't know. Now, when we read the stories, maybe these backgrounds, the Crimson background, the purple background here, maybe they'll make sense, uh, once you read the story and you'll say, okay, well, I see, I know what scene this is depicting, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just disappointed. I, I feel like, again, as a designer, if I were doing a five book series, I would want all five of the covers to be of equal quality so that when you put them all together, they feel like they're part of a family. And it's this one story of the fall. And I, I really think Pocket has dropped the ball here on the two covers that feature the Enterprisey.
1: Well, and and um, you know, I mean, the Enterprise E is a is a well recognized ship, um, and uh, more so than obviously the new Deep Space Nine, which nobody had ever seen until that cover, and uh, you know, obviously the Titan is not as well known either. So I just wish that it had gotten its due. You know, poor Picard apparently yeah. getting short shrift these days, uh, on the covers. You know, his face, nobody's face is even on the cover with him or something. You know, so I don't know. I I. The other thing that went with this, Chris, was was the um, the blurb, and uh, we're not going to read that as we have with with some of the novels, and and it has nothing to do with Dayton. It has to do with kind of protecting the the, the book series. Uh, the only the first two books have only come out, and uh, I, I really don't want to start giving things away. In fact, I, I really kind of glanced at this blurb. Um, I didn't read it fully because I don't really want a lot of spoilers at this point for this series. And uh, so if you want it, we will be posting this. This was on Star Uh We'll have the link in the show notes here and in the enhanced podcast. So you can go check it out, but uh, I don't want to ruin this for anyone that isn't quite ready for all this information. And so, Uh, but from what I read, it sounds intense. It sounds like it's going to be a great wrap up and we all know Dayton, he does fantastic work. And so I have no doubt that this will be an excellent end to the fall.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I think, uh, you know, primarily here, we are talking about the artwork as far as the stories go, I'm sure they're going to be spectacular. I know Matthew, you're really enjoying David R. George III's book here to start off the series. Uh, I've started reading it as well. And I'm looking forward to getting the books. So we're definitely glad that those are out there. All right, uh, let's move on. One more item here. This was a post that Dayton, he does this column on StarTrek.com called Tian Forward. Of course, Dayton Ward. I don't know if, did you see this, Matthew? Dayton tweeted the other day. He got a tweet or a comment from a reader Asking why Star Trek.com misspelled 10 Forward. It's 10 <laughs> Forward. And I think it was basically a virtual head slap in the uh, tweet. Face you know, it's, palm. Like, it's, it's a play on Dayton's name, people. Yep. And yeah. Guy Nin's bar on the Enterprise. Come on. But but this post is a very interesting one. It's 10 Star Trek novels for the new Star Trek novel reader. So someone who's just getting into Star Trek books. Which books can you cherry pick from the hundreds and hundreds of books that are out there that would be a good entry point to introduce someone to the world of Star Trek literature? And I've read a lot of these, mostly the older ones, Matthew. I know you've read a lot of the newer ones here. What do you think about the selection that Dayton pulled together?
1: You know, Chris, uh, as I was looking through the list, I, I feel like it is a, a very solid list. Um, there weren't a lot of things that uh, were missing from the list that I felt like, oh goodness, I wish that they had put this on there. Um, I think all well, of these Avalon are-
0: Rising wasn't on there, but that's probably because this wasn't comics.
1: For exactly, the new Star Trek comics. Obviously, reader. okay, yeah. If we had been talking comics, there's no question that that would be uh on the list is at the top honestly at the list um, point, yeah there you go uh literary treks drinking game i think we mentioned avalon <laughs> rising at least three or four times so you should be pretty smashed by now <laughs> you know it starts out with spock's world and that is a you know one of the the most well-known Star Trek books. Um, And what I loved about this list too, is Dayton had taken suggestions from people online from, from bloggers and and, and whatnot online. And uh, he had taken suggestions from um, other authors as well. David Mack is in here with a recommendation, not his own book, but uh, his friend, Peter David. So I loved that this list wasn't just Dayton's compiling. He had apparently asked people, what do you think, uh, right. you know, if you had to recommend a Star Trek book as a Star Trek reader, what would you recommend? And so this is what they came up right. with. Uh, Spock's World, one of the most popular. Spock's World was
0: suggested by Dan Gunther. And it's a novel that I feel like I read a long time ago. I don't remember too much about it other than, you know, it gives us a look into Vulcan uh, culture, which is great because it's something that we feel we didn't really get through Star Trek until we got to Enterprise. So that was nice that Diane Dwayne filled in that. So that's a great pick.
1: Yeah. Then the next one, Chris is actually one of my all time favorites. And uh, yeah. we, we have talked about this a little bit before, but uh prime directive uh, by Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens is hands down. I think one of the best Star Trek books ever written. Um, and mainly because of um, the reasons given here, they, they nail the characters completely Uh, even while putting them in in the kind of the worst situation possible. Um, And uh, giving a great representation of the idea of the Prime Directive itself and how far does it extend. Does the Prime Directive basically mandate uh, the mass extinction and genocide because we don't step in? And so asking all these questions, really, really well done book. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's just... I think it's it, it to me it it it's the book that I would I would give to just about anybody who wanted to read a Star Trek book they've yeah. never really done it before they're interested you know but they know the original series say read in Prime Directive series, you, yeah. you're going to love it so
0: yeah I agree uh, this was suggested by Alan Gibson and uh, I I haven't read this book in many many years but I do remember reading it and was just very enthralled by this novel. It's one of those books where you just, you can't put it down. You just keep going and going and going. I remember reading it at work actually (laughs) many years ago. It's like (laughs) every moment I can get a break, you know, I'm out, I'm out reading Prime Directive. It's great. And just everything that Judith and Garfield write, uh, you know, this Federation, which is um, on this list too, uh, just really, really good books.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, now the next book, Chris, have you, have you read this one? I have not. It's in uh um, I have again, a long time ago. Okay. Um, I think, I think the reason I hadn't read it is because at that point I, and I was not really into the whole Riker Troy thing. I didn't really care. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I don't, yeah. I guess I probably just wasn't old enough to really care about those characters in that way. Um, it is probably something I should go back and, and read because I have heard so many people talk about it and really, really like the book. I, what I really liked uh, was just the fact that they talk about the idea that this is the point when they're really bound as authors, what they can and can't do, and that right. the story is still compelling even though he can't get them together. So to mm. create that is good work. So I look forward to be able to read this sometime.
0: Yeah. And this book was so popular that there was a sequel to it, Mzadi 2, as well, which was another book that Peter David wrote. And this is the book you were mentioning that David Mack recommended. And this one I used to have on cassette tape, the audiobook version. And so I listened to this one quite a bit as I was driving around town back in the day. This was released back in August of 1992. And the 90s were, of course, a time when we were fortunate enough to get a lot of great Star Trek books on audio. The the, the next one on here is Federation, which I just mentioned a moment ago, which again is one of my very, very favorite Star Trek novels of all time. It was a story that brought together Picard and Kirk uh, pre- I guess it was pre-Generations, wasn't it? Because mm-hmm. it was November 1924, yes. and so Generations was very soon after that. Uh it talks about, it's another story of Zephyrin Cochran as well. You know, So bits and pieces of the character that we see in First Contact. And it's a book where I, I feel like in Star Trek First Contact that certain elements or ideas in the novel may have influenced that film Uh, both this novel and another one that's not on this list but we've talked about on here before strangers from the sky i feel like these two novels together influenced first contact quite a bit
1: yeah that i can see um i remember federation it was an excellent book um it it was um It was a lot different in the sense that you kind of expected Kirk and Picard to meet, really, in the book. And they don't really meet in the same way they do in The Generations. uh, Right, yeah. But I, I really enjoyed Federation a lot. I thought it was a fantastic novel.
0: You know, talking about remembering when you read books. And I mentioned I remember reading Prime Directive at work. Federation, when it came out, I had a hardcover. And I remember reading this book during orchestra rehearsals because I used to play in a professional orchestra, and but I play bass trombone. And so when you play bass trombone in an orchestra, you have a lot of time where you just sit because you know, <laughs> it's just the strings playing, just the woodwinds playing. And I I read Federation pretty much the entire book during orchestra rehearsals. So a very memorable moment for me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, that's really funny, Chris. It's good to know that if I want to play an instrument, but I want to be able to read a lot in the orchestra, <laughs> right. trombone is the one to play because that's the one where I can pull out my Kindle or my iPhone and be reading and only have to worry about like, you know, four bars every, you know, 15 minutes.
0: Oh, it's true. I And I used to play in the pit also for opera, ballet and such. And we were doing an opera one time and we're down in the pit. So we're under the stage. The only people that might be able to see us are people up in the third balcony. And we have this just extensive period of rest. uh, And my friend Clarence sitting next to me playing trombone as well. And I look over and Clarence is unwrapping a Snickers bar. I'm like, what are you you doing, (laughs) man? We're in the middle of a show. He's like, I'm hungry, man. I'm hungry. (laughs) So that's what goes on.
1: That's really funny that's awesome well you know Chris I guess we should probably get back to this list but uh, the next oh, one books, our yeah. friends at To The Journey are gonna love To The Journey oh, yeah. To The Journey but, uh, that's right uh, To The Journey drinking game is in full effect right now Mosaic by Jerry Taylor is next on the list and uh, you know they talk about this is this is a great book because it is uh, the closest we ever got to an autobiography of um, Janeway and um, I I remember reading this book and really liking it and the fact that they do kind of reference some of the plot points in this book later on in the series, uh, especially Janeway's father and how he died and all those things. And so yeah. I thought this was an excellent idea. I wish they had had done more of this. They obviously did Pathways as well. That's right. Take another drink to the journey fans. And um so both of those really being her works and as close as canonical as you could probably get for the novels since it was the creator of the show right, writing Right, because it's written by book. Jerry. Right, yeah. and so really well done. And, you know, as close as we ever got to I think maybe uh, consistency in Janeway's character too, having Jerry <laughs> write a full, you know, this full autobiography yeah. of her, so...
0: well. This was a cool idea, and I remember reading Mosaic as well, and I remember where I was, when I was when I was reading this book also. But what was cool about Mosaic and Pathways is that, so Mosaic came out in October 1996, and it was written by Jerry Taylor, of course, who created the show, but it was being written early on in the run of Voyager, and it was, it was a cool idea that the person who created the show is actually writing a supplemental material near the beginning of the show as opposed to it you know, coming afterwards or such. So it was a unique uh, moment as far as the, the combination of Star Trek on screen and literature goes.
1: The other one that I like on here, that of uh, 5 our good friend and, and blogger that I use so much for our news, uh, recommended Articles of the Federation, and this really is a fantastic book. I mean, it's a completely different type of Star Trek book because it's almost all on politics. And um, it's all about uh, President Baco and her first year in, in office. And it's fantastic um, getting that side of what interstellar politics is actually like in the Federation and being Federation president. And it helps you really see that, you know, Star Trek has so much more to offer than just kind of a space adventure story. There's a lot more to it. And I really feel like uh, Keith DeCandido really took some of those ideas we see in in Deep Space Nine of how you can do different types of science fiction inside Star Trek and really makes this book work. It honestly is one of the best Star Trek books I've ever read.
0: Remember when we had Keith on the show and we talked a little bit about this book and about it being very different and the process of getting it approved and writing it and, you know, being concerned like our fans gonna accept this or not because it is a very different kind of book. But it's a I'm glad they let him do it, and it's a great contribution to Star Trek. It's the kind of thing you need. I think it's what sets Star Trek apart from other franchises is that it isn't always just the adventure. It really is sometimes let's really delve in to the nuts and bolts of how the society actually operates at that point. It makes the Star Trek universe feel a lot more real.
1: The next book uh, is, and we've talked to Dayton uh, about this series, but Star Trek Harbinger. And uh, David Mack uh, obviously kicking off the uh, Vanguard series, uh, a literary spinoff of the original series. So it was a big deal, something really different than they had done before. They had tried it with New Earth, wasn't quite as successful as they wanted it to be. But this series became a whole new thing. I mean, and and it was a huge series for Pocket. And um, one of the, you know, I think the coolest parts was just it it kind of, uh, you know, from, I haven't read it all, but getting that kind of um more lived in feel that you get from deep space nine but putting that in the tos era uh like, that, yeah, i i think it's a lot like that. great idea great first series and and so yeah th- what a great choice uh you know if you just want to introduce somebody to the novels we'll give them an, a, a series that's just completely all about and exists in the novels what a great idea
0: yeah, that's what Brian Cross, who suggested this book for the list, said that for longtime Trek TV fans who haven't read any novels, there's lots of references to episodes and other plot lines. However, they're not so blatant that a newcomer to the franchise would be confused. So it is sort of you, you don't have that baggage. You don't have to know it's like someone trying to jump into Deep Space Nine in season six. You know, you're gonna be completely lost as to what's going on in the story. And so right. uh here in the novels, this is a way in literary form to avoid that uh, a fresh take on star trek um the, the next one we have is the crucible trilogy by david r george the that came out 2006 and 2007 and this was part of the 40th anniversary celebration of of star trek and they used the city on the edge of forever as a springboard to go into the story um, i actually have not read the crucible trilogy have you read
1: these I have. Uh, I really enjoyed The Crucible Trilogy. In fact, uh, the Dr. McCoy book, which is the kickoff of the series, is just hands down one of my favorite Star Trek books, even if I hadn't read the other two. But uh, really the way that David takes this series is that he uses the landmark episode and then uses the entire series and uh, movies to weave in and out of Kirk spock and mccoy's lives these books and does a really good job of it one of the greatest parts about this is that you can hand these novels to a fan who has only seen the show and the movies they don't have to know anything else about the books because that's all that david um uses for the bassist so they kind of sit alone from the rest of the novels which just makes them fantastic and i think you'll be surprised especially by the time you get to the end of the kirk one exactly what David does with this entire series. It is awesome. I really, really like this series, so uh, I would highly recommend it. If you're just looking for something great to read, you need three great books, this is a fantastic place to start.
0: Excellent. We have another trilogy here by David Mack from 2008, the Destiny Trilogy. Now, I, I know that you've read this and have a lot of thoughts about this and you know what they do, I guess, with Ezri here as well, right? And is, is the Destiny trilogy a good starting point for someone just jumping into the novels or is there a lot of background that you still kind of need to know
1: to get into that? Um. Well, the thing about the Destiny trilogy is that it is a good place to start, Chris, if you have watched Nemesis and um, all the films, you know, up to Nemesis. Uh, you can really jump in at this point and, you know, kind of, continue on the road then in in the rest of the novels and and where they've they've been uh because after destiny you can really jump into um destiny helps
0: you jump into the typhon pack series and all the other yes, stuff that comes uh, you're going to right? get into
1: titan you're going to get into typhon pack you're going to get into um uh, the voyager relaunch by kirsten Buyer. um you're going to get into all of those different places uh and it does help you kind of move past you know from the deep space nine relaunch which is way far back about four or five years in star trek time from this point so it is a good place if you're just kind of wanting to start fresh and find a place that you can kind of kick off it's it's not a place to be even though if you start with destiny you're still about 15 20 books behind But it is a fantastic series, though. I I personally love it. I I reread it uh, last year. Again, I I still love what uh, David Mack does with the Borg and how he finally just brings them to an end, uh, which needed to happen, uh, finally, uh, because I was tired of them as an enemy. And um, the way he does it, I think, is very, very, very smart. Very well done. And and David's just a great writer in general. Um, So, yeah, this is a series worth reading.
0: I know this next one is another one that you're really high on, which is the Voyager relaunch. And this is Full Circle, Kirsten Byer's book from April 2009. This was suggested by Jeremy Woolward. And I know, I believe you feel that Kirsten has really pushed the Voyager relaunch forward after um, it first got started. And Full Circle not being the first book in the relaunch series how do, how do you feel about it as the jumping
1: in point? Uh, Kirsten does a good enough job of giving you enough to kind of figure out what's happened to allow you to really jump in. And uh, Full Circle is one of the larger Star Trek novels that we've had in a long time. In fact, if I remember correctly, when we talked to her, um, they it was meant to be two and they kind of wanted it combined all together so they could just get everything out there um, in one mm-hmm. book and then be able to move forward. And because there was a lot she needed to do to kind of catch everything up. And and she writes so well and she knows these Voyager characters so well that you really do feel as if you are watching Um, you know, the continuation of Voyager, um, everything that I would have hoped for. uh, And yeah, she takes everything back to where it all started in the Delta Quadrant, but in a way that's really smart and makes a lot of sense. So uh, hands down a fantastic choice, especially, you know, if you've got somebody who's a Voyager fan, this is a great way to go. Definitely.
0: And if you're a new listener to Literary Treks or a recent listener Go all the way back to the beginning of this show, episode number two of Literary Treks. We actually have Kirsten on talking about this novel and writing Voyager. Really, really fascinating discussion that we had with her. So go check that out. Okay, and then let's just run through these real quick, Matthew. Dayton had some honorable mentions here that readers had suggested on his blog, The Fog of Ward. Uh, These include The First Adventure, by vonda N. mcintyre q squared by peter david once burned by peter david uh, avatar one and two which we've covered here on the show before the ds9 relaunch books and then taking wing by michael a martin and andy mangels who which starts the titan series uh, anything stand out here
1: for um you? yeah i think uh taking wing is a good choice um you know, you, you've got a great jump-off series there. Titan uh, is a really good series. Uh, I really enjoy uh, Riker and his crew. I think it's really interesting. It's really well done. And it, it follows immediately after the events of Nemesis. So if you wanted to kind of see, you know, Riker and, and having his own ship, uh, this is the place to go. Uh, and then, of course, Avatar wanted to, 2, uh, you know... Without, yeah, so we've talked books. about this, Chris, without the Deep Space Nine relaunch, we wouldn't have, I think, anything that we've got now in the way that the books are done. And so, fantastic choice there, but again, by eight of five.
0: Yeah, those are fantastic books. And as for the older books here, uh, Q Squared is one that I always enjoyed, you know, back in the day. I also had it on audiobook format as well. So, that's a fun one. And Peter David picks up on Trelane uh, from the square of Gothos ties that in with Q as well. So uh, a very interesting thing there. If you like multiple timelines, you know, different realities in your stories, that's one I think you'll enjoy as well. So great list here. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. If you want to go over to star trek.com and read Dayton's column and, and see everything that he had to say about the books as well. But, uh, Good stuff for you if you haven't read them or, you know, if you have friends who you're trying to get into Star Trek literature as well. Maybe they think, oh, the books, I'm not really into the books, you know, they're not canon. Uh, these could be some good suggestions that you can make to to pull them in. Uh, Matthew, one more thing in news here. We have kind of a, a long news segment today. We do have a little bit of news on comics. This is the Early Voyages that's going to be coming out, uh, Stardate Collection, Volume 2 under the command of Christopher Pike which is going to come out in february uh what do you think about this
1: um i think this is great i love seeing the fact that they are bringing all of these comics back chris and um and and just letting fans kind of um get a hold of these in a way that they may never have before um, there were a lot of comics back in the day that people just missed, like myself. So I love the opportunity to go back and and, and check them out, especially, you know, something like this, uh, seeing the early adventures of, of Christopher Pike. There's uh, a couple of good novels that involve him, too. So I'm always interested to see what, you know, his his command style was like, what it was his enterprise was like. Um, and all of those things, and so I'm I'm excited about this. I think this is great that they are are continuing to put out these uh, StarDate collections, um, and just working through the comics as they were produced. And so this is good stuff, I think.
0: Yeah, very good. So I will. I haven't picked up the first one yet, but at some point I probably will. It's kind of one of those things where I'd like to pick it up in print, and it's. Really difficult to get my hands on that stuff here in Tokyo. So maybe one of these days I will, but that's going to be coming out. So keep your eyes open for that. All right, Matthew. Well, that's all we have in news. But before we jump into our feature where we're going to talk about the new ongoing number 25 and just a little bit about ongoing today, let's tell everyone about our sponsor, Squarespace. Your support of Squarespace is very important to making it possible for us to bring literary tricks to you every week. And it's a great way to support us because. What you're going to get is an all-in-one platform for hosting and CMS, which is absolutely the best thing that you're going to find anywhere online. And you can use it to create your own blog, website, portfolio, an online store, uh, you know, a website where you review Star Trek books and comics, whatever you want to do. Squarespace is a great way for you to share your thoughts with the world. I've been using Squarespace for six years. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. I use it for my work. I use it for work that I do for clients. And apart from the simple fact that the tools are awesome, one reason I use Squarespace and a reason why I love them is that they are constantly improving the platform with new features and new designs and even better support. And they have the best support you're going to find anywhere, but it just gets better all the time. And what you do with Squarespace is you start out with a template. They have beautiful designs that allow you to just put your information out there with really no effort on your part whatsoever. But if you want to adjust those and tweak them, you can using various style options. And it makes it very easy for you to create a unique website for you or your business. And the best part about it is that it starts at just $8 a month. And you can even get a free domain name if you sign up for the annual plan. But, you know, Matthew, we always talk about this. There are there are a lot of reasons to love Squarespace, but there are three primary things about Squarespace that make it so easy for you to get your web presence going. What are those
1: Chris, I think one of the biggest is that it's design-focused, as you were saying. And and Squarespace really uh, cares about the way that your blog or your website or your, your commerce features, the way they look. And all their templates are extremely clean. They allow your content or your store or your blog, any of these things to be the focus. So that when people go to your site, they're not worried about trying to navigate. They're they're just seeing your content portrayed in in just a beautiful fashion. And so that's one of the things that they do. The second is it's easy to connect all the accounts, all the places that you'd want to share your information, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and so many more sites that you can do that at. This is the place. It makes it simple and easy to be able to share your content like this to anyone you want it to go to. And then, Chris, uh, one of the things that's really nice is it's a responsive design. Uh, there's nothing more frustrating than going to a website that's um, not really designed for the mobile world, um, you know, so you have your phone and you're checking out a website and it's just not able to move to the phone uh, This and it just looks like it does on yeah, the computer. Just so it just doesn't fit right and, and, small, and everything's... It's you can't exactly. read it. yeah. You yeah. just can't see and so... Everything scales perfectly with Squarespace. So whether you're on your computer, a mobile device or a tablet, you're finding the right look for where you are. And that's one of the things that's just fantastic about Squarespace and making that happen. And it's not something you have to do extra. Squarespace does it for you.
0: Right, exactly. It's a very intelligent system, too, but the way they reflow content, you know, they're not just trying to cram everything into the page, Uh, you know, sidebars flow down underneath Uh, menus, uh, you get actual menu buttons, you could press and then people can see a large navigation menu for your site, a lot of fantastic things they're doing there with the responsive design. And Another thing that they've added not too long ago, it's it's not brand new anymore, but it's the commerce feature, and they're expanding it out to other countries. I believe United States and Canada have it. UK has it now. That's going to be expanding in the future more, I am sure. And They partnered up with Stripe to allow you to process credit cards. You can sell physical or digital goods on your website. You can get your shipment information. It will calculate taxes for you. Really, really fantastic system. Makes it very easy for you to set up an online store, which in the past has been rather cumbersome to do. I know I've tried to do it myself, and the Squarespace system is by far the easiest thing you'll find anywhere, Uh, and you only have to pay Squarespace for the commerce package, which is $24 a month, and then you pay a little small fee to Stripe for credit card processing as you would with any system, but you don't have to go out and get a third-party commerce system and try to integrate that into your site. It's all there for you in one package with Squarespace, so that is a fantastic system. Uh, we talked about getting your content up front. It's very easy to do uh, drag and drop blocks onto the page. Drop them into a grid to create your site. Then you can use sliders and other controls to tweak the design. But if you are a developer and you want 100% control over every line of code, you can go into developer mode and create a site using tools that you're familiar with from our traditional methods, while at the same time leveraging the power of Squarespace. And that's their developer mode, which is also fantastic. But you know, Matthew, the best way to find out how great all this stuff is, is just to go try it for yourself. And you can do that absolutely free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. Just put in your name and an email address. And in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your own website. You can use all the features of Squarespace for free for 14 days. And then when you sign up, and I know you're going to want to, as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using our offer code TREK9. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning, choose that annual plan and get a free custom domain registration as well. So support us and support Squarespace. Go try this fantastic platform for free for 14 days at squarespace.com. And then use offer code TREK9 to save 10%. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of TREK FM and the network. And we thank you for supporting Squarespace.
1: Well, Chris, um... We had just a great news segment, a lot of things have been happening recently in uh, the Trek literary world, and so one of the things that happened this week is we had the drop of Ongoing 25, which uh, I have been looking forward to, Uh, we have finally finished the After Darkness series, and now getting into some real meat here. I I feel like we've been waiting for this comic ever since we saw Into Darkness, And then the bits and pieces that we liked in After Darkness. And now we're finally getting the resolution to some of those things we saw in the background. Right.
0: But don't you kind of feel like this should have been After Darkness in the first place and we should have just not had the After Darkness that we had?
1: You know, I honestly think what they should have done is had After Darkness be three very intense, intrigue-filled you know, section 31 comics with what's going on in the background, giving us some of the um, the sidebar of how the Enterprise crew is dealing with this thing that's happened to him, and then really jumped into this Kittimer conflict, which this is great. This is part one of four that just came out today. And I have to say, just right off the bat, the the cover artwork is really nice here. Great scary klingon on the front. Um excellent view of of the enterprise at warp. Uh I think it's it's a pretty epic cover for what's about to happen.
0: Don't you think they should have given this klingon one gold tooth in the front though?
1: Uh, well, yes, <laughs> With a diamond then he in would it. have been yeah, d- ghetto klingon. <laughs> uh yeah. But uh definitely I have to say too that's one of the things that really works here is these klingons that they created for the JJ universe. Uh, I think they work pretty well. In the comic, yep. they look good. They look like Klingons, and they look scary and mean. And uh, I like it. I, li- I like the way they look. Uh, there are a little uniform here with the artwork for the Klingons. The the foreheads yeah. are all pretty much the same. But it is a comic. I'm not, I'm not going to. You know, you don't want to have to draw every individual Klingon <laughs> differently. Well, <laughs> I think that's the thing about the JJ Klingons, though,
0: and I agree that they come off better here in this comic than they did on screen and in into darkness in what we saw on screen anyway. But the forehead ridges, I, I feel like in the JJ universe, in the Abramsverse here, that the Klingons all have uniform ridges on their heads. It's, it's not like the prime time line where the original idea was that the, mm-hmm. the patterns had to do with family lineage and such.
1: Yeah, I like this look. I, I think it works. Um, I, I think that I just wish, you know, into darkness, we had maybe seen more of the Klingons. You know, we didn't, we only got to right. see one of the guys with his helmet off. And so we might have seen some differentiation between what they look well, like.
0: I told you before because I played Star Trek Rivals card game for so long before I was able to see into darkness. I was expecting to see a lot more Klingons in the movie because there are a bunch of different Klingons with names in that card game. And I think some of those names maybe come from the 2009 film from parts of the story that were cut with the Klingons. But I was expecting to see a lot more of these guys in the movie. Yeah, definitely. So,
1: yeah well um i I like the way that this this um comic does start it you know it, you you're on a a planet you're on Kittimer actually which you know we all know uh from the Kittimer chords from where they were signed the, you know Star trek six one of my favorites great to see the Klingons building their brand new colony on this planet. Yeah. Um, and man, and of
0: course, Warf's background as well. Don't forget.
1: Exactly. Yes, this is this is where Warf's family is from. Um, so, which is another great, fantastic thing. Uh, these guys, though, man, they are all working hard. Um, they are ripped to the nines. They are. So this yeah. is, these Klingons, I would not want to get in a fist fight with. Um,
0: well, you know, usually we see yeah. Klingons in, in their big body suit, the big armor and all, but you know, Matthew, I mean, if, if you were as ripped as these guys are in the comic, wouldn't you just go shirtless all the time as, as well, just like they do?
1: Um, you know, Chris, if I did look <laughs> like this, i I think that everybody would want me to go shirtless <laughs> all the time. I do not. Therefore I wear a shirt. Um, but yeah, I think that's exactly uh, appreciate
0: you not coming to work shirtless, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Everybody appreciates that, honestly.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, they're building the colony here and I thought it was an interesting move as well. And I'm not fluent in Klingon, so I don't know, but uh, the characters here do speak in Klingon and, and then they have the little boxes down in the bottom corners of the frame to give you the translation But I did like the fact that they are speaking Klingon because, again, you would expect them to speak their own language on that world. And it gives you that, you know, more of a feeling that you're there with them. I wonder if this Klingon is accurate. You know, did they go and actually have someone from the Klingon Language Institute or somewhere translate the copy for the comic?
1: You know that's a good question uh, and I wouldn't even think about that Chris because I again'm I'm, I'm not fluent in Klingon either I, I miss those classes um, in school but it, I, I think you're right too it It did really help set the mood you know that that these Klingons would all be speaking in Klingon and uh, just that little extra touch was really, really I, I thought it was really cool. It was cool, and the Klingon sounds accurate.
0: I mean, it really does sound like Klingon, so it does make me think that they did have someone who does no Klingon translate copy because it doesn't sound right. like someone's just making stuff up here
1: well and and so these Klingons they're they're building the the settlement, and all of a sudden, um, an orbital ship just starts bombarding this colony and just laying waste to everything. Um, and uh, the Klingons really have, you know, absolutely no hope of, um, you know, defending themselves against this because uh, their ships in orbit have already been destroyed. Um, and then, you know, I thought this was really interesting when I when I re- read this the first time, Chris. I noticed this immediately on this page where the Romulans are. At, it's page six. You see these weapons, and immediately you realize these weapons aren't Romulan um, because they look just like the weapons on the vengeance Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, Scotty shuts Uh, down and you don't see really good point. Yeah. So I'm a good point. I immediately realized that um, this is hearkening back to what we saw with section 31 being involved with the Romulans. Something's going on here. We know they're going to try and start a war between the Romulans and the Klingons. Um, So, uh really cool. But the way to they're used that.
0: here in the comic is really cool. In that, you know, the these are Romulan. They look like Romulan warbirds, uh, a kind of a combination between a warbird and a bird of prey. Mm-hmm. But the you know the nose is like the warbirds in the TNG era. But what's cool about these weapons is that they're like the the talons of a bird right. of prey, right? Right, extending down, which is kind of cool, and they they look cooler on here than they did on the Vengeance and Into Darkness.
1: Yeah, it looks really good. Um, I I like this artwork. I think it's great. And um, I'm definitely glad to start seeing this connection here. And, you know, it's what we've been hoping for. Then what's funny is you have this dramatic shift from this destruction. And then you get to this star base, uh where Kirk and his crew are about to embark on their five-year mission, and uh, I liked this. I love that you know uh, they're they're eventually going to go on this mission. Right? Yeah, eventually it, it'll happen. <laughs> One of these days um, they're going to go. <laughs> it does kind of make me wonder um, if they if they're stalling because they they're don't, stalling. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they're stalling because of the film because they're not really sure what they're going to do with the film yet. Um, and because of that, because they're still working on that script right now, they don't really want to give away too much of I think, yeah. um, this five-year mission or, or have them do it. So I, I like this. Uh, what I, I really just liked about this scene, though, is is Chris, it, it gave the, the crew an opportunity, uh, you know, Kirk, to kind of get – um, a scene with some people he doesn't normally get a scene with, you know, just kind of hanging out with Chekhov and and Sulu. I really liked that. I thought it was well done. And it just made sense. You know, you, this crew does need a little bit of downtime and a little bit of bonding time. And I, I just yeah. liked seeing them kind of give that to him.
0: I, I I like the dialogue here in the voices. And you don't, you well, it says one last chance for the Enterprise to pick up new crew. And Sulu says, this is dumb. Kirk says, it's not dumb Sulu. And then check off, it's a little bit dumb captain. Yeah. <laughs> perfect voice
1: for Sulu there. Oh, uh, and, and what it's, what's fun too is, is that I love that, uh, that Kirk is making him cover his eyes, like cover a five year old. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, the surprise is, hey, we've got a brand new engineering officer and, it's Hikaru's sister going to be part of the team. So that's exciting. Uh, Glad to see that. That'll be, I think, some fun and interesting developments for Sulu as a character then. And I was also glad to see
0: that they made his sister Yuki actually look Japanese because Star Trek, as so much of Hollywood does, seems to have this mass confusion about Asian races and, you know, who's Japanese and who's Korean and who's Chinese, which uh, actually they're they quite distinctive, but uh, apparently to Hollywood they're all the same. But at least here they actually did make her look Japanese, like a Japanese woman, which I personally appreciated living in Japan.
1: Yeah. And, and what's uh, what's fun about this is, um, you know, she's signed up. She's really excited about being on this five-year mission with um, the the rest of the Enterprise crew, and and you know, Hikaru is not too happy about this. Also, she has this nice little pet name for him that she calls him, and uh, which is Hiki. Is that what how you say yeah. that? Um, That's how you and would say it. Although Kirk no goes, one would ever
0: she, do that
1: here. <laughs> so. Did she just call you Hiki? And he goes, yeah. No, and then Kirk goes, adorable. Like you just can almost hear Chris Pine going, Dude, that's totes <laughs> Like just making fun of it's awesome.
0: Well you know if they had holodeck technology on the Enterprise here in the Abrams verse that Kirk would go down and program that that great getaway, the Hiki Room. The Hiki 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 Hiki, Hiki Room. <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh man! It'd be full of orion slave girls um <laughs> yeah and and uh so we get this great introduction and um what it's really cute here is is that uh Chekov is completely taken with his sister already, and yeah. um. But I, what was great about this is that in, in, in instead of it just being kind of a cute scene, they they deal with something that you know we've 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 seen on Star Trek before, and and it'll be interesting to see them play out. Is this idea of, of family on a starship, and that you know uh, they do obviously discourage having whole families on on starships, um, but that having brothers and sisters is 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 okay, and Sulu's really worried about. You know how this is going to impact his performance. Uh, of not, how do I not worry about my little sister the whole time, and and do my job? And I love how you know Kirk responds. You know that you know if you think you're going to be that compromised, then you believe in yourself a lot less than I do. And I need you yeah. to trust me on this. And uh, I thought that that was a great moment for Kirk. Uh, you know, just showing his 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 belief in his crew, how much he yeah. cares about them. Um, So yeah, that's a a good scene.
0: The other thing it does besides the family angle, which is a a great point, is that it continues what they have tried to do with Uhura in the ongoing comics and in Into Darkness, which is in the 23rd century setting to try to play up female characters a bit more as being strong and capable. And because what Kirk tells Sulu here is that, you know, one reason she's on the ship is she's First in her class, you know, she's she's one of the best engineers that we can find. She's not here because she's your sister. She's here because she's one of the best. And it continues that, which I know that was Roddenberry's vision. And he tried to do that by having Uhura on the show in the original series. But because of the nature of television and the culture of the society in the 60s, uh, and even into the 80s, even in the next generation, you know, Troy and Beverly were weak characters on the show, weak female characters, here we're picking that up in the comic as well. I'm trying to further that in Abrams first, I think that the female characters are strong as well.
1: Yeah, um I, I think that um it, it's a great thing to to be able to see that. Um I also think that um it it's it's hopefully gonna be a nice um change from Uhura herself in this series and where she's uh-huh. been and and not having and and maybe um, it'll give them a chance to bond as characters as well, her and, and, you know, Sulu's sister here. and
0: So you think that Yuki Sulu and Uhura are going to go down and stretch together and say, does it ever make your toes curl?
1: Exactly. Um, no, I I think it would just be great to see, you know, Uhura get to have a relationship with somebody other than Spock on the ship. And... Uh, yeah you know two strong women hopefully um together and instead of it just always being about her and spock and so um
0: well don't forget that we also have carol on the ship now which they do pick up as we go through the comics so we have yuki we have carol marcus and we have uhura all now
1: that's true and uh you know we get to see carol in here and and uh we get to see some uh, worry from Kirk about her, which I think is nice. And you can see a little bit. I think that their friendship is growing um, in, in this comic. It's, it's very subtle, but I just like the way they're doing it, you know, um, to, to keep it that way for a while that it, it's not just a quick, Oh, we kind of like each other. Let's jump into bed real quick because that's what we do. Right. Um, it, it looks like they're going to actually try and develop that.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Uh, because of course everyone's wondering with Carol Marcus on the ship now whether David will eventually be born in the Abrams verse and if Kirk and and Marcus are going to have this relationship or not. Did you get the feeling when you're watching Into Darkness though where when Carol Marcus comes up to the bridge and she wants to talk to her dad on the vengeance? I thought it was interesting how Kirk calls her Carol at that point because I felt like there's so much more that's already gone on in their relationship that we don't see because I don't know. It's just ca- calling her Carol really made me feel that way. And then now that you see in the comic and he's calling her Carol again here in the comic. And
1: I felt that I did you, do you feel that way or am I just reading too You know, that's a good point. It? I didn't even, I honestly hadn't thought about that at all. Um, that is an interesting point. You know, I guess, um, I feel like it might have been a representation of Kirk really accepting her as part of the crew uh, as much as anything else uh, as quickly as he he does everyone. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, he 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 would uh, I feel like uh, there, you know calling Scotty, Scotty, and, and instead of, you know, Mr. Scott, you know, that's his, his way of yeah. being, you know, the, he, well, Kirk always has this with his, his crew. Uh, and so it, yeah. he kind of takes these liberties, whereas, you know, other captains might not do that, but that's not Kirk yeah. for them. You know, for him, this is family. And, and he even says that at the end, he's like, welcome to the family. And she's like, it's nice to have one. um So, well, <laughs> well
0: you know that he warms up to Keens or when he starts calling him Roy exactly yeah <laughs> yes exactly all right so so we'll see where the carol marcus thing goes but we do see uh, some concern for her here
1: well one th- quick thing i want to point out is uh they say that they got a shiny new warp core and if you look behind sulu uh i mean sorry if you look behind scotty that warp core looks very very much like a warp core that we've seen before And uh, it looks just like something you would have seen on the Enterprise-E, actually. It does. And so uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll follow the comics and actually give us (laughs) a warp core that looks like a Star Trek warp core. At least the ones we've known. (laughs) Maybe. Do you want them
0: to do that, though? I'm just, I feel like creatively, first of all, I think there will only be three movies. I, I, I really don't see them doing a fourth movie. Personally, they've already done two with the engineering section the way it is right now. Wouldn't you want
1: them to just do the third one the same way instead of having some kind of massive redesign of the ship? Yeah, I mean, they already did change it for the second film anyway. The main engineering was was not uh, the brewery. I mean, you went through the brewery for a little bit, but the actual main engineering core was... um, you know, that brand new set, which was fantastic. I think it, it worked well. I still right, hate the brewery. I think it looks yeah. stupid, but um, this yeah. worked a lot better. And so I was glad that they did that. So, you yeah, know, it, it's fine. I just thought that was interesting. So jumping ahead, we get this fact that um, the they intercept this uh, Klingon distress call, they call it, which it's not really a distress call, as Zohara says. It's a call for vengeance because they're... Yeah. Um, uh, their colony has been destroyed on Kinemer, And Kirk says. We're going to go check this out. Uh, and Sulu. I mean Spock's like that's not a good idea. And and Kirk's like look. We have to clean up this mess. That Marcus started. This could be our way. To have the olive branch. Let's go do it. And uh, then you get this quick scene. Of uh, the section 31 agent. Talking to. The Romulans. Uh, that have just destroyed the colony and they thank them for the weapons that they really enjoyed from section 31 which helped them to obliterate the klingons quickly <laughs> we enjoyed uh, your weapons exactly they were <laughs> excellent um and uh then they talk about how you know how are they going to we going to split up these uh this empire once it's destroyed and they, we'll talk about that later so you know something else is coming on each side there and then you jump right back to, to the Enterprise and they land on the planet, even though Spock's not about that either. And they're trying to help, they're trying to find anybody who's left. And uh, then the Klingons arrive and those fancy new birds of prey that we saw at the end of After Darkness.
0: Yeah, I a few things interesting to me here in terms of the artwork is the fact that when the Romulans, when we really see the Romulans, they look a lot more like the Romulans that we're familiar with from the prime timeline as opposed to Nero. I know Nero was maybe not military and those those were maybe like civilian Romulans that have all the crazy facial tattoos on them. These guys feel a lot more like actual Romulans, the interior ship feels more like Romulans as well. And so okay, so the thing here, the, the the Klingons arrive. What we end up with here at the end is a war between, as I take it anyway, the Klingons and the Federation, which is what Admiral Marcus said was coming. But it's interesting to me that it's all set up as and this comic was billed as of open warfare between the romulans and the klingons but it's more like the romulans attacking the klingons in order to start a war between the klingons and the federation as opposed to it being a romulan klingon war per se but of course the romulans and the, the humans are working together via section 31 ultimately to conquer the klingons it's kind of like a a, a twisted web that they Yeah have spun it, here. it seems
1: like a triangle where, you know, the Romulans will be attacking the Klingons, the Klingons will be attacking the Federation and the Romulans, and they'll, you know, they're, yeah. I, I feel like it's it's a, it's kind of convoluted in, in that sense. And yet, you know, I, I feel like, though, in the end, it's going to be the Enterprise and her crew that help avert all the wars in general in the end. Oh, well, of course. Um, they're I mean, always in just, the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, and so, well, they were the only ship in the sector. Um, that's right. And, uh, and so Kirk's the only one with, that's crazy enough to go (laughs) to a Klingon planet and land on it. So, um, but I love the way this ends, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you're bringing up the end of darkness bits of the fact that the Klingons know that Kirk is the one who, who landed on their planet and they are, they are the ones that, um, are responsible for what happened, Uh, and, uh, I, I th- think that that's fantastic that you're using all of that and putting it all together. And the fact that the landing party ends up, um, on the Klingon ship with, uh, you know, Kirk there at the Klingon's feet, which is core, which is awesome, which is core, um, Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and then it's the whole bump, bump, bum moment. And we have to wait till next month to figure out what happens. I, man, love this comic. This is really what I wanted After Darkness to be. And I am glad that we are finally here.
0: It is good. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I I almost wish that it was more, there was more depth to it. Like a lot of the comics that we review here on the show, when we do the four or the five part series. Some of the the comics from i don't know you know five six years ago or so, which have a lot more text to them. they're a lot denser they're more like novels. they really really pull you into the story a little bit more. This is a story where I would love to see that kind of depth of course in the end when right. we take all four parts together, we're gonna have that kind of story. but uh, th- this we talked about on here before too, you know this Ken conflict story would make a great movie it's it's like what we feel like the third movie should be, but of course they want to they want to produce these comics and do all this stuff between now and three years from now when we get the next movie. But you almost want it to be like like a Star Trek two Star Trek three kind of thing where the story's just continuing in the next movie, even though it's a few years before you get it and the the war that Marcus was looking for is what we get in the third movie and that's what we're getting here but boy wouldn't it make a great story for a film
1: yeah i really think it would chris I, i'm with you i i i wish that the the comics to me have really legitimized the um jj verse and, and and what it could be and uh i really wish that we would see some of these kind of things in um the films because are uh, really doing a great job, I think, of, of giving us a, a fantastic look at this universe, opening it up, all the possibilities, all the things kind of fans thought it would be um because we had all these open possibilities. And uh yeah, I really like what I w I really like what they're doing. And and two, I just have to say, as as a comic goes, you know, with for artwork, I really like the artwork. I think it's fantastic. I think the characters and a lot of a lot of the scenes look really good. Um, and I, I was really drawn in by it. I was never taken out of it at any moment. And so, uh, hands down for me, one of, one of the, the best we've seen in a while for, uh, ongoing comics. I really enjoyed it. I think what I was reading at the likeness of
0: of Carol Marcus to Alice Eve was, was really, really well. Yes. Yes. Which
1: nobody complains about.
0: (laughs) Nobody, especially not page 17 here down at the bottom. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, so I, I enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I just, yeah, I just want to see where it goes. I want to see what the Section Thirty-One involvement is, and 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 how deeply they follow the the triangle that we're talking about here. Because you know, in the end, the Romulans aren't actually going to share anything with the humans, so that's going to have to come to a head. And of course, they're not going to destroy the Klingons completely. Star Trek right. can be clean Klingons, so. I don't know where this is headed but I'm looking forward to finding out. It's a real shame that we're going to have to wait 3 more months to get to the final part of this. So it's going to be it's going to be a slow crawl. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, this has been great a uh, short feature today just reviewing this one comet. but we had so much stuff to talk about in news we thought we would keep the show to a reasonable length overall so we hope you've enjoyed that but you know it's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on trek fm this week so here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm the orb aliens of deep space nine
1: that's a really good question i honestly never even thought to question the Vorta's idea of their own existence uh and whether or not it was you know a, just a story Earl Grey.
0: The 1701D. So correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a little while since I've seen Generations, but is it possible also that before it was used as stellar cartography, it might have been Cerebro? The Ready Room. Homefront in Paradise Lost. See, that's the kind of guy I want to vote for. (laughs) If he says, I
1: don't want to do this, please don't vote for me. That job looks really hard. I'm going to go, I like this guy.
0: To the journey! Collective commentary. Right, no, no, no. the Borg does okay. not They the don't create do like that.
1: They All have right. to assimilate. Because that, that I just thought was strange. Like, okay, so one of the people they assimilated was pregnant or, okay.
0: Commentary, Trek stars. Roswell.
1: And that was what Kadams was going for in season one. He saw it as, as more of a, a metaphor than anything. He didn't really care about the actual science fiction behind it. And he said that he got a note from a network exec which just said aliens 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 warp 5
0: the sphere builders
1: and and it is a good concept I think it uh, and obviously the reasons it was introduced were, were more because of the studio and wanting that uh, looking forward perspective you know getting ahead of the 24th century
0: track news and views the watches the watches which also brings into question uh, dr Crusher, because uh, you know Pulaski can put a new heart in him but Beverly Crusher can't even heal an arrow wound Literary Treks Assignment Earth Comics I kind of liked it in that it picks up from Assignment Earth the Star Trek episode where we find out that Gary Seven has been sent there to find out why the two agents who were supposed to be stopping that missile launch can't do it, what happened to them And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them all in iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. You can download or stream from the website. Many, many ways for you to get the shows. And you can find links to everything on our website by going to Trek.fm/PD for podcast directory. Now, Matthew, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on Ongoing number 25 or on you know any of the great recommendations that Dayton had for us in novels today. You can go to film slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to Matthew and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail if you'd like. There's a tab on the right-hand side of every page on the website. If you click it, you can use your webcam to record a message for us and upload it to us as an MP3 file. And then in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. Now, uh, Matthew, you know, when you're not um, talking to Chekhov about Sulu's sister who has joined the crew Well, where can people find you?
1: Well, Chris, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on uh, Twitter at MattRushing02. And you can also find me uh, doing The Orb with you where we talk about Deep Space Nine, and we do that all the time on that show. So those are the two places that are probably best to find me as well as doing the book reviews, uh, which I'll have a new one coming out soon of uh, David R. George III's newest book in the beginning of the fall series. So working my way through that. Now, Chris, you know when you're not hanging out with Kirk making Sulu cover his eyes, where can we find you? I love doing
0: that. Well, you can find me with Kirk working on the Hiki Room program <laughs> and uh and also with Yuki getting tips on on what that should entail but now you can find me on Twitter my username is c brian jones. that's the letter c and brian with a y you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com and then Matthew besides the shows that we do together you can find me on Tuesdays on the Ready Room where you're with me sometimes as are other hosts from all across the network as well as special guests and we talk about all five live action Star Trek series as well as Star Trek news on that show and and then on Fridays, you'll find me with Kate Walsh on Warp 5, where we talk about Enterprise and interview various people involved with the creation of Star Trek as well. So check that show out also. And Matthew, also, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show. And that sponsor is, of course, Squarespace, the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, an online store, or really anything you can imagine. Create your own space today. You're absolutely going to love it. I certainly do. Go to squarespace.com and get your free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Just put in your name and your email address. And in a matter of minutes, you will be building your own website. And then we did decide to sign up. Use offer code TREK9 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And choose the annual plan. And you could even get a free custom domain registration as well. So go try it out. Support us. Support Squarespace. They help us bring literary treks to you every week. And we really appreciate their support. And also, if you'd like to support what we're doing here, you can go to trek.fm slash donate, where we have eight alien badges. They're custom illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on your website. They're available both as badges and as art prints, and you can choose what you want. You can mix and match. We have different contribution levels that you can make, and your donations help us pay for the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring our programming to you every week. So go on over to donate. Get your aliens today, and we really thank you for your support of film and Literary Treks.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on.
0: You call that light reading?
1: To each his own, number one.
0: Chekhov checking out Sulu's sister's uh, pants.
1: Uh She didn't have no pants on. <laughs> she had the miniskirt. Why do you think Chekhov was in love?
0: <laughs> uh, Better keep an eye on Chekhov.
1: Uh, I love that. He's just like, that's not even funny.